The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at overlandpark.cc. There must be some kind of way out of here, said the joker to the thief. There's too much confusion. I can't get no relief. The great theologian, Jimi Hendrix. It's <laughs> uh, so the song all along the watchtower. You ever felt that way about God? Like confused, no relief? <clears throat> well, good news for you today, those of you who decided to come to church, those of you joining online, welcome. As we dive into the pro- prophet Habakkuk, that's exactly the way he felt. As a matter of fact, we look at what's going on in the climate of his day, which is fascinating about all of these minor prophets, was I study them and dig into them at a deeper level and discover how many similarities there are in our day to his. He was facing a growing crime rate, physical violence was rampant, strife and contention grew like wildfire, the law was either misapplied or not enforced at all, and even God didn't seem to be concerned. It sounds like the world we're living in. It's just a strange place to be living in. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Habakkuk chapter 1. We're going to be looking at Habakkuk chapter 1 um, through uh, chapter 2, verse 4. And what we find in the prophet Habakkuk is we find questions and answers in chapters 1 and 2. And then we come to the final chapter in chapter 3, and we find again a return to prayer, a heartfelt prayer that he had actually written down and recorded about how the Lord had led him to a place as he processed through these difficult things that he was facing. It is a profound book that dives deep into the mysteries of God. There are deep questions like why does God do things the way he does things? Why why he even does it in the first place? And why sometimes he does nothing at all? And so when we think about this, this is very personal for us. For instance, you lose a job because someone at your place of employment has it in for you. And so they maybe say things about you that aren't true, or they spread rumors, or they position themselves, and all of a sudden you find that you didn't get the promotion, and they did, and here you are trying to live for the Lord, and you know they don't care anything about the Lord. And you're like, why would, why would God do that? Or... You find out that um, you have a terminal illness. You go to the doctor, and the doctor begins treating you, and, and then you find out two months into the treatment that he misdiagnosed you, and the treatment has actually made you worse than you would have been. You're like, why would, why would God let that happen? Why, why would a baby, why would my baby die? Why would my child die? Why would my child get leukemia? Why would my husband get lymphoma? Why would, why would they die? We love God. Why is it happening to us when we look around and we see all these people that don't seem to care about God whatsoever and they seem to be thriving? And those are real questions that we have as God's people. And, and so when we look at this, how are we supposed to respond as disciples of Jesus? Because the reality is we know people. Like I know people within this congregation that those things that I just described have happened in their lives. And so how do we respond to those situations when they take place in our lives? Well, some people stop following. Some people are just like, man, I I can't do this anymore. They withdraw. They check out of the church, and they just kind of go into a reclusive state. 
Some people stop believing altogether. And they're just like, man, I cannot follow a God who would let something like that happen to my innocent child. Why would God do that? And they just quit believing altogether. And so there's a lot of stopping that happens. But the way that we should respond when you have a problem is you should stop and think about God. That's the first takeaway we see as we begin to unpack this. And so I want to unpack and start reading through just a little bit, and you'll see Habakkuk lay these things out. And just listen to how he responds to it. And so he says this, in the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet received, how long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? See, you can hear the anguish in him. He's like, how long, God, do I have to keep crying out or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked him and the righteous so that justice is perverted. And so, Habakkuk is looking around at the people in his day and his own people, the citizens of Israel. And he's looking and he's saying, God, why? Like, why is this happening? Why does nobody care about you? Why is there no real spiritual revival that is taking place? And so he's referring specifically to the nation of Israel because they had come out of this time where uh, 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 the leadership of Josiah, he was a boy king. And if you remember back in the spring when I took you through um, the series, The Lion, we looked at Josiah's life. And, and he was uh, eight years old when he assumed uh, the, the leadership as king. And he had the they found the book of the law that had uh, been hidden, they'd lost sight of, and he had it read publicly, man, and he, he led Israel, and there was an awakening that took place, and man, people, they got fired up about living for God, and so they had somewhat of a revival, and it looked really powerful for everyone. It was a good time, but soon after Josiah's passing, Israel returned back to that evil state that they were in, and they started pursuing idol worship, and so we look at what is idol worship because that seems so familiar to us. Idol worship is trusting in anything that, you, anything that your hands can make. And so it doesn't necessarily have to be that you've got a little fetish in your house. It could be the money that you put in your bank account can become an idol because your hands made it. And so you can start to look and go around and go, man, whatever my hands can make. Your idol can become your home if you are just totally consumed with how it looks and all of your passion and all of your energy and all of your drive goes into that and comparing that to how much passion, energy, and drive goes into worshiping the Lord. Now, certainly there's nothing wrong with any of these things, the, the money that we have or the, the passions that we have to be creative. As a matter of fact, we have those things, um, that, that passion to be creative because we bear the image of God. So we want to create because he is the creator. But when things get out of balance and we start pursuing and all of our passion is consumed <clears throat> by what our hands can make instead of who made our hands, we've engaged in idol worship. And so Habakkuk is looking around and he's crying out to God, man, and he's saying, God, like nobody is investing in you. Nobody is investing in your kingdom. And what the law says is how long, God, how long will you allow, allow this to happen? And that's the prayer that Habakkuk has. And God answers him. And this is the way God answers him. He says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe. And even if you were told, you wouldn't believe it. And he's like, 
Oh, boy. God is about to do something new. And we're excited, man. We think, man, when God starts to prompt us that we're going to get a word from the Lord, and he's going to turn this whole ship around. But Habakkuk was not prepared for what God was going to say next. I'm raising up the Babylonians. Now, Babylon and the Babylonians always were consistent and linked with evil. That's why when we get to Revelation, Babylon is still, like, like it's still described. It started with Nimrod, and he founded this thing as he moved the people away from God. And we end up with um, the Babylons right now, or Babylonians are coming into power. And God says, as Habakkuk's looking at the nation of Israel and saying, how long will you allow us to say in this weak and anemic state spiritually, God, would you bring about a revival? God says, I'm raising up the Babylonians. Like, this is what it sounds like for us. Like, God, how long? How long will you allow America to be in this state? How long will you allow the people to, like, to, to, to just ignore you with the way that they live and the way that our leaders are acting? And God says, I'm, rise, I'm raising up the communist Chinese. That's what was said to them. They're coming, and they're taking you out. Listen to how he goes on. That ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places not their own. They are feared and they are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like a vulture swooping to devour. They all come bent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They deride kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities. They build earthen ramps and capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own strength is their God. There's your answer, Habakkuk. How long? Like, this is what I'm about to do. Now, man, that is a hard word from the Lord. You're asking, you're frustrated about something, and all of a sudden you get an answer that it sounds worse than if you wouldn't have prayed. It's exactly what happens. And so, what does Habakkuk do? He goes back to the Lord and he says, Oh, Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, we will not die. Oh, Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. Oh, Rock, you have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. And so as he got one question answered about what God was going to do, it created a, another question. So he says of God, you're too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You have made men like fish in the sea, like sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet. And so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet. For by his net he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? He said, God, how could you be holy and, and allow and tolerate this? These people, at least, like, I know that 
the, the people in Israel, your chosen people, are not doing what they're supposed to do, but at least they believe. These people you're talking about, God, don't believe at all. They trust 100% in their nets and the things that they can do to make the money that they have. They sacrifice to them. They don't sacrifice to you. At least your people are still trying to sacrifice to you. And so he's wrestling, man. Habakkuk is wrestling with God. He's, he's in a spiritual exchange trying to understand the problems that he's facing, and he lays them all before the Lord, and, and he, he, he's asking God questions. And so if you ever are confused and you don't know, like, and don't understand, we can see here it's okay to ask God questions, okay? As a matter of fact, I would encourage you to ask God questions because he already knows you have questions, you're not going to surprise him with your questions. And this is what Habakkuk is doing, and he's wrestling with God in this. And so God responds to him once more. And then he says that after he lays this there at the Lord's feet, he says, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. And so there we see that, that uh, Habakkuk has gone up into the watchtower is what he um, is telling us that he, he's reacting to this. He's coming away to hear an answer from the Lord. And then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and not delay See, he is puffed up, referring to the Babylonians. See, he is puffed up. His desires are not upright. And then we have a dash. And he says, but the righteous will live by his faith. And we have another dash. And, and so going on, and, and we stop right there, he begins to give the answer. He says, like, yeah, I'm raising the Babylonians up, but they won't stay up forever. And I'm going to use them as a tool. And so he says in the midst of that, he issues a challenge to Habakkuk to write down the revelation that he's giving him. And as we see, when we face problems, we see what Habakkuk does is he has a problem and he stops and he thinks about God. So when you have a problem, what you should do if you're going to respond as a follower of Jesus is the first thing is to stop and think about God. And we find that in verse 12. He, he begins to look at his problems through God's attributes. Look at verse 12. He says, O Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, we will not die. O Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. O Rock, you have ordained them to punish. And so what do we learn from this verse here at Habakkuk? Is we learn something about some very important attributes of God. First of all, he says, God, you are everlasting. What does that mean? God, you are Alpha and Omega. You are at the beginning, you are at the end. And so he's saying, Look, man, as I stop to think about this whole problem that I'm seeing and God's raising up the Babylonians, I must confess that God was at the beginning before the Babylonians and God is at the end after the Babylonians. God is at the beginning before Israel, God is at the end after Israel. God is the beginning and the end of all things. Everything that is happening in history, um, humans come and go, but God always is. And so the problems that we're facing right now, there are people that faced problems 100 years ago that are gone. But God is still there. He was before them and he's after them. And he is before you and he will be after you. The second one is holiness. 
God is holy. The word speaks of this more than any other attribute of God. As a matter of fact, it is the only attribute of God that is, is repeated three times. Isaiah says, I saw before me the throne high and lifted up. And he, he talked about the angels. They cried out, holy, holy, holy. John the Revelator talks about the future coming of Christ. And when we get to the end of time and, and Christ comes in all of his glory. And he says, I saw before me there at the throne, the angels, the cherubim. And they cried out night and day, holy, holy, holy. It is the most attribute, important attribute of God that we have in the word. It tells us that he is holy, apart, and different from us, that he is just, that he is right. And so when we look at this attribute of God, when we ask ourselves the question in any situation and problem we face, is God right? Always. Always. And so I'm reminded of the song we just sang, even when I don't see it, you're moving. Even when I can't feel it. And so like we look at that man and, and God is always right. And there will be sometimes that we look in our humanness and we feel like God is wrong, but he's not. He's right. And we are wrong for thinking he's wrong. And so we have to look at the, the world and look at uh, our problems and think about God. And then the next thing we see is he's sovereign. He says, you appointed them to execute justice. The Babylonians are coming. They are about to invade our city. They are about to take it down. They are, they are known for building up these earthen ramparts. They would build a ramp up to the city wall, and they would just go over the top of it, man. And they were fierce, and they would sweep through the city and take what they wanted, and then they would move on, take the prisoners they wanted and just leave it behind and go on conquering after a city or nation after nation. And so he says, you appointed them to do this. They didn't rise up on their own. You raised them up. And then finally, we see in his attributes, God is faithful. Habakkuk calls him the rock, which we know that Jesus said um, that he is our rock, that we would uh, be, the church would be built on the foundation of Christ himself. And so it's a firm footing, a solid foundation to build your life on. And so when you face a problem, what should you do? You should stop and think about God. That's it. You know, don't stop and think about your problem. And that's what we are inclined to do, is over and over in our minds rehearse our problem instead of rehearsing what God is like. And so therefore, when we rehearse our problem over and over in our minds, then we end up creating an incredible amount of anxiety and the enemy just wears us out. This is why Paul says, be anxious for nothing, but think about God and everything. How do you think about God? Talk to him, bring it to him in prayer. Think about God, don't think about your problem. Even sometimes it's good for you not to talk to God about your problem. Talk to him about his attributes. That's what we see Habakkuk doing. God, you're holy. God, you're right. God, you're just. I don't understand this, but God, this is who you are, and I know this. And the way that I know it is because you've given me a word about yourself. I know how you've interacted with your people. I know what the promises of the covenant are. And so when you, thought, when you face a problem, you stop and think about it, and then you apply his attributes to your problem. You see, when you think about God being everlasting, you go, he's here before my problem and he'll be here after it. If God is holy, what is meant for evil will be used to accomplish good in the end. God is sovereign, which means he's in control even we don't, when we don't feel like it, and, and God is faithful, I am his child and he is my rock. And so this is so vitally important, so simple but so vitally important because what we want to do is when we have a problem is we want to run to people and tell them about our problem instead of stopping and thinking about God. 
and letting God work us through the problem to see if we ever even have the right to tell anybody else about the problem. We're so, we're so consumed by saying, man, this is what's going on in my life that sometimes I think that we're just seeking attention by being able to tell other people how bad our lives are. And God would say to us, why are you not coming to me? Why are you not looking and stopping and thinking? And so it's, it's so important for us to have the right perspective. Now, um, if, you know, I've done pretty good this year. I'm on my, we are, as a family, are on our third buck, and I haven't said a word. <laughs> I haven't said a word from the pulpit about hunting. So uh, anyway, I'm going to today. <laughs> I'm not going to talk about the experience other than the fact of when you're hunting, one of the most important pieces of gear in your, your, your pack is your binoculars, man, your binos. Because when a buck comes out and he comes out at a distance, one of the things you got to know, man, is that a shooter buck or not? And if you're as old as me, you can't tell. <laughs> and so you throw them things up, man, and you go, whoa, we got a shooter coming in, bro. Or you go, ah, it's a dink. <laughs> and so why is that important? Because whenever you see a shooter, like a buck may come out way away from you, you don't really want him on top of you if he's a dink. Because then you can't relax. you got to worry about every movement because if the dink or the doe comes up by you and you move around, they will blow everything off the field because the giant shooter bug is the last one to come. So those of you who are bow hunters, this is a bonus for you today, okay? Take some notes. So you want to know. Why do you want to know? Because it magnifies the situation and it gives you a proper perspective of what you cannot see. And in these first two points, by looking at and thinking about God and then taking those attributes and laying them over our problems, it gives us perspective that we see them the way that God sees them. And so what does this mean? It means what the apostle said that we're supposed to be as followers of Christ. You walk by faith, not by sight. And so faith is your spiritual binos to begin to look at your problems and go, what is God doing in all of this? And that's the great takeaway from Habakkuk's um, uh, first, these first two takeaways from the, the, the story of Habakkuk. And so all of these um, things that he did, the problem is he does these things right. And it creates another question for him. So he says, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why do then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous um, than themselves. And so he's saying, man, God, why do you allow people who don't care anything about you to thrive? And here I am, and I'm sold out to you, and it feels like I'm just struggling all the time. And so he's asking, how can you use people more evil than your people to accomplish something? And so when you still don't have an answer to your problems and you've done the first two the third step is to give the problem to God in faith. In, in chapter 2, verse 1, we see, he says, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. So there again, I don't look to everybody else until I have looked to God. And God may lead me to other people. I think there's wisdom in counselors. Like, there's wisdom in seeking out godly counsel, seeking your pastors out, your, your, your people of faith that you know are walking with the Lord and, and seeking counsel out from them. And, and, and there's a time for that, okay? It's good. But it shouldn't come before you sought counsel from the Holy Spirit himself. Because he will speak to you. 
And you got to see what he will say. And sometimes you never hear him and see what he'll say because you're listening to everybody else's voice instead of the only voice that matters. And so we go there first, and he says, man, I will, I will go to God. And, and, and how do we leave a problem? Well, we detach from it. He went up on the watchtower. He got away from all of the business of life because in a watchtower, you're away from the fray. You're above. You're looking down, and your job is to look out to see if anything is coming toward the city. And so spiritually speaking, Habakkuk says, man, I'm going to get in the watchtower with God. I'm going to detach from this. I'm not going to let it consume me. I'm just going to think about God. I'm going to bury myself in the words that I know of him, what he has revealed already. And so at that time, obviously, Habakkuk didn't have the New Testament because Jesus hadn't come. But Habakkuk had much of the Old Testament. Habakkuk had things that had happened in the nation of Israel from the time of creation and Abraham and Moses and the Pentateuch. He had all of these things, man. And so he could get with God. And he could get in the watchtower and he could meditate to see what God would say to him. And he, again, didn't run to everyone to tell them about the problem. He went up. He didn't go out. Okay? And that's important for us. And the second thing that I see is that he didn't uh, just, just sit there and stay discouraged. He expected an answer. He says, I will look. I will look to see what he will say. And I often find myself at those places, man, where I don't know what to do about a situation. And it's kind of fun to look and wait to see what God will say because when the word comes, it's an amazing experience. And you will begin to walk in the power and freedom of God. And and as this hits you, then it starts to come out of you. And then people, as you share the good news of what God is doing in your life, people get excited. And guess what they begin to wonder? How does that person go about living his life that way? And that's how we advance the kingdom of Christ, by having a life that is attractional because we know how to live. We know how to listen. We know how to look to see what he will say. And he speaks to us. And we navigate through our problems, not like the rest of the world. This is why Paul says we don't grieve like the rest of the world because we have a hope in us. And so as he does this, he detaches. He expects an answer, and, and God speaks to him, and, and that's how he will do the same with us. He will speak to us primarily through his word, okay? So the way God speaks to us is he will use people, okay? But primarily, it is the word, and you don't want to listen to people who are not very familiar with the word. That's why we call it godly counsel, because we know these people are familiar with the word, There are a lot of people who will try to give you something that you think is spiritual counsel, but if they don't know anything about the word, you shouldn't listen to a word that they say, okay? Why? Because they don't believe like you do. They don't think like you do. They don't know the God like you, that you you are worshiping. And so you seek out godly counsel, but but how much better that you go straight to God himself? (laughs) You say, well, how do I do that? To get in the word, and as you're in the word, man, what happens is, is that God will use the word. You say, well, man, why, why, why do you stress all, time, all the time being in the word? Because the Spirit's job is to impress upon us the things of the word. Jesus was described as what? The logos, the living word. This is the written word. And what does the writer of Hebrews tell, about, tell us about it? It is alive and it is active. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. It is able to separate um, the spiritual from the physical. He says bones and marrow, like he's, he's talking about physical and spiritual things. And he says, man, the word of God can help you trim away the things in your life that are causing you angst and focus on the things that will really bring you contentment and joy. 
And so as we read the word, sometimes we're reading it and nothing is going on. And we go, man, I'm just reading the word. But then we might get hit with a problem later in the week and the Holy Spirit will impress that word upon us. And all of a sudden, when, when we normally would be so discouraged by some news that we get, we are reminded quickly and prompted as the Spirit um, impresses upon us of the scripture that we read back on Monday. And now here it is on Friday that we got a pink slip and we know that God has He's, he's ministering to us in that. If you're never in the word, what is the spirit going to impress upon you? Only what you can remember from what I taught you last week, if you came to church. Now, what do you remember about what I taught last week? I don't even remember what I taught last week. Right? Okay, so, so like there's, a, there's power in this. The word as we eat it and we consume it, then the spirit impresses it upon us and we're able to recall it in moments of difficulty and problems that we face. And so this is what's going on in Habakkuk's life. And here's the big idea. When you face problems, watch and wait until you see what he will say. That's how you navigate through your problems in life. And this is how we exercise faith. Now, when we get to Habakkuk chapter two, verses two through four, he has told him, the revelation is coming. Though it tarry, wait for it. He's like, I'm going to say something to you, Habakkuk. Just wait on it. And when it comes, write it down. But don't write it down on the normal stuff like the scrolls and, and the parchment type stuff where they would write on animals because he's write it down on tablets of stone. And write it in such a way that the herald can, can proclaim it and run through the, the streets saying, thus is the word of God. And this is what we see. Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation, make it plain on tablets so that the herald may run with it for the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of an end, uh, of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by faith. That's it. The righteous person will live by faith. This is the foundational verse for a disciple of Jesus. We find it repeated in Romans chapter 1 verse 17, in Galatians chapter 3 verse 11, in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 38, the, the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. We as a Protestant church look back to when a time where uh, there were such um, uh, 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 perversion going on in the church that, that the, the priests were, were doing things, they were in it for the money, the bishops and all these, like there was so much corruption going on. They were selling indulgences, which meant that if you gave enough money to the church, you could do any sin that you wanted. You wanted to ha have relations with a prostitute, just write a big enough check. That's how it was working. And so, there, there, but, but if you wanted to know God, you had to, like it had come to the point they were teaching, man, you just had to work and work and work. And so the guy by the name of Martin Luther, He's like trying to follow God, and the more that he learns about God, you know what he says? I hated God. I hate God because I can't live up to what I'm learning about him. And the story goes that at one time he was still trying and pursuing his relationship with God, and, and they would, the, the, the uh, very devout people would ascend these steps that um, were supposedly the steps that went up to where uh, uh, Jesus met with uh, uh, um, What's his name, Shay? The guy when he was being prosecuted. Come on, bro. Pontius Pilate? Yeah, man, come on. You win a hat, bro, okay? 
Pontius Pilate, he descended up, and so there was blood stained on these stairs, evidently, and, 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 and so they covered them in glass, and the people that were trying to be devout would crawl up the stairs on their knees and stop and pray as they ascended on each step above the blood of Christ. And as Martin Luther was doing that, it hit him. The Lord impressed upon him. The just, the righteous shall live by faith. And he hit him like a ton of bricks and he got up and left and went back home and, in, and dove deep into study as the Lord began to open and peel these layers back. And he started a movement, the righteous shall live by faith. And he posted it on the, uh, uh, the, the door of the church and said, man, we are wrong in the way we're teaching God's people. And so there was a protest about what was happening, and a revival came out of that, and that is called the Protestant Reformation. And so like this verse is so powerful and so important for us, and God tells him, Habakkuk, write it down so it can be repeated. And then he gets his answer, and it goes on. If you read through the rest of chapter two, he basically says, I'm not endorsing the evil of the Babylonians but I am raising them up to get my people to return so that I can um, get them to the place they need to be. I'm doing what's best for them. And he says, I will bring them down. But in the midst of everything falling apart around you, Habakkuk, you live by faith. And that's, that's, that's the gospel. And so we get to the chapter three when Habakkuk is praying once again, and I won't read his whole prayer, but I will read one of the most beautiful things that he's written. He says in verse 16, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Do you hear that? He's like saying, I know that it's going to be bad for us. But I will put my hope in knowing that God will right this wrong that is going to happen to us. He says, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crops fail and the fields produce no food, there, there, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on heights. And so what is he saying to us? He's saying, man, you're going to have problems. You did, when you follow Jesus, it doesn't mean you're problem-free. As a matter of fact, it may increase the amount of problems that you're facing. But if you will trust me and you will live by faith, he says, he will make your feet so that you can tread on the heights in the midst of the problems and things falling apart all around you. And so I, my encouragement to you today is everybody likes to say, well, I have faith. Well, that's what faith looks like. That's what it looks like. It doesn't just mean, well, I believe there's a God out there. Even the demons in hell believe that. That's what the scripture says. So faith is to be active. 
It is to be walking this out. It is to be able to walk in the midst of our problems and things feeling like they're falling all apart around us and somehow we come out victorious. Why? Because our feet are sure like the feet of a deer and we can run up the side of the mountain no problem at all. Even with things crumbling and falling and most people would slip but not the person whose God is the Lord who belongs to Jesus. He's built his life upon the rock and he's laying all of his problems before him as the attributes of God. He looks through that lens and he sees clearly as God has shown him, it doesn't matter what happens to you, I'm in control of your life. And nothing can come against you that I don't allow. And so it allows one to walk through life and live with such freedom and go, man, I can face anything. Whatever happens to me, I've already been promised that God will not leave me alone, so be encouraged. And walk by faith because you're gonna need it to get through this life and have any joy, because problems will always abound. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.